John, thank you again so much for joining the show today. Not a problem. What I thought we could do is we'll start a bit about your history in, in retail. Um, one of the things I thought I would start off by saying is that one of the things about reinventing businesses, etc., is also about reinventing yourself. And because they are two things that are closely aligned that people can you know, come across challenges in their lives, etc. And... My dad was uh, born in 1906. He was 46 when I was born. He had a really interesting career growing up in Western Queensland, um, doing droving, etc. Then he started in uh, menswear stores and different other things. Although when the um, Cracker Gold Rush started, he went out there with a general store and uh, also took some changes in life with the Depression where he decided uh, get out of menswear and other things and get into providing um, food, which was absolutely essential. But he had a very unhappy marriage. He made a lot of money. When the war came along, he joined up, became one of the first commandos. And he actually was quite depressed at the time and didn't care if he didn't come back. And a lot of the uh, commandos, well, they were all told that their chances of coming back were very, very slim indeed. Anyway, he did make it, came back from the war, found that his first wife had uh, cleared off with somebody else. And you might say he was a bit down in the dumps. Yeah, he was well and truly depressed. But he moved to Sydney, uh, stayed with his sister in Bondi and met my mum, who was 22 years younger than him. And literally at, from uh, 1946, so he's 40 years of age, he restarted life and reinvented himself. And he then went on to different other jobs, but the one that he really um, loved doing and uh, also um, created some great innovative ideas was joining a company called Ruben F. Scarves. And he and Ruben became very close friends but a really interesting part that linked his life there with the army and the commandos is that one of the youngest guys, because he was apparently the oldest in the in the commandos, and this other guy, Alan Huntington, right at the youngest end of it. Anyway, Alan's family had a suit manufacturing um, organisation. Dad working at Ruben Scarfs, and he came up with this idea that instead of buying through wholesalers that uh, was, you know, so much about the industry at that time in retail, you didn't have the close relationships that there are today with the manufacturers. So he came up with the idea, well, why don't we buy the fabric directly from the woolen mills, John Foster, etc., and then Allen's factory could make it and do it a lot cheaper price to bring into store. Now, people said, well, oh, this is great. We can sell them so much cheaper. And Dad said, no, we shouldn't do that. It just devalues the product. We keep the product at the same price as elsewhere, other retailers. But what we'll do is give another suit away for free or sports coat, trousers, shoes, socks, etc. And it went absolute gangbusters and did two things. One, it grew that business enormously. Number two, though, it really started to put the first nail in the coffin of wholesaling because other retailers thought, 
why are we dealing through these wholesalers who are making, you know, a, a margin on the way through? So, you know, it was a complete change that he created within the industry on, on two fronts. The other thing that was, I guess you could say, innovative at the time is that, yes, they would carry a range of shoes in stock. Uh, and I just use that as one example, or shirts from a company called Paramount or Whitmont. Anyway, with this two suits for the, well, the suit plus the other accessories, he would go to people like Paramount or McMurtry Shoes and buy all their ends of ranges at a much reduced price. And of course, if a salesman was able to give one of those away, rather than the fully priced product, they got mm. a bit of extra commission. Mm, that's smart. Same quality yeah. product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just but, uh, end so, of line. And mm. that relates to something I did later mm. on in life. Mm. Anyway, I went to uh, work with my dad from the age of eight. Being much older oh. than me, yeah. um, he wasn't really into taking the school sports and whatever. And also we lived on acres out of Moorbank and where I could even occasionally ride my horse to school at Chipping Norton something you couldn't do today. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was my dad's offsider, and I really took to business. And so on Saturday mornings from the age of eight, I'd go in to there. School holidays, particularly the Royal Easter show, I'd go in there with a microphone and sell the, yeah. the details of aqua rising on the suits, which was the 3M product. Oh, okay. Uh, like a Scotch guard, was it? Uh, which right. dad negotiated exclusive huh. rights for Australia. Wow. So, yeah, but the Amazing. scarf organisation let that go at some other time after Dad had retired. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so my first thing into retail, etc., was with this entrepreneurial dad who unfortunately did suffer from manic depression, mm. or now bipolar. So during the good times, he could take on the world. Mm -hmm. During the bad times, wouldn't want to get out of bed. But anyway, it was a fabulous time. But as I said, other kids on school holidays, go off to camps, whatever. What did I do? I'd go and work in the stores. Mm. So which led me to after I became disillusioned after one term at university following high school. Now I'm going to go into retail with dad. Went into there, ended up as a store manager at 20 and I started my own little bit of entrepreneurship and doing designing of uh, okay. menswear, etc. But I also started fashion shows and tied up with a local ladies wear organisation. Huh. And uh, so doing, I'd do the MC and then get guys, uh, some of our staff involved to do the men's modelling and the Bell Star ladies would get the, the girls in. And it was a, it was a cracker, absolute great way of lifting brand etc however the downside was when you work for somebody as a father you can become overtaken by their image and i had to get out mm. after a couple of years because mm. i was never going to be john i was always going to be con's son yeah so that time i joined grace brothers and i was very lucky michael grace was the uh hr director at the time right and i then started on a journey holding on to the uh, shirt tails of a guy called Roger Corbett, who was my first real boss after orientation. We opened up uh, Warringah Mall store, mm -hmm. and I learned a lot off Roger. Most of my time, my 10 years with Grace Brothers, was working with Roger 
and uh, what a what a great time that was. An important part for people to think about. You see, uh, retailers, oh sorry, department stores today, and they're literally only fashion stores. You know, that's it: menswear, mm. ladieswear, kidswear, etc. Back in that time, we had hardware, records. Uh, the the range of Manchester was just fantastic. Toys, mm. etc. A supermarket. So half of the ground floor of uh, today's Grace Brothers Warringah Mall was a supermarket. But over a period of time, what happened, we had we had consultants come in who mm. said, oh, no, you can get much better return per square foot by getting rid of this, getting rid of that. Mm. And I think that was really the start of the downfall of department stores because mm. they just started to get rid of this, get rid of that, and just changed. In mm. fact, what was the department store of then? Is now the mm. Westfields of today. Of today, yeah, so true. And isn't an it? interesting, mm, interesting story mm. is uh, Mr. Lowe mm-hmm. bought or convinced the Grace Brothers board to sell their stores to him. Yeah, right. Which were Chatswood. Oh well, they weren't mm. just stores. I mean, they were massive. Uh, there was mm. um, Chatswood, Parramatta, mm. Bondi, um, a number of them. So they were, if you like, the Westfields of the time. Mm. Mm, that's Lowy. right. Um, mm. Yeah, Frank Lowy, you, yeah, You yeah. guys should stick to retailing. I'll do the real estate bit. <laughs> 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 anyway, I spent 10 great years in Grace Brothers. They were very entrepreneurial. Um, we had fashion parades all the time. I, uh, being a bit of an MC and not afraid of a microphone, I had some terrific times interviewing a number of international celebrities, etc. Wow. And great. so if something new came to town, say there was a new book released or whatever, then we'd have them in store. Um, a whole lot of mm. stuff that, mm. that was Amazing. there. So, and it was very, very customer focused. Uh, the We Care campaign, whatever it needs for customers. Um, one of the things that I did when I was uh, merchandise manager at Chatswood store was actually introduce, go back to fashion parades, fashion parades for ladies' underwear. Right, okay. <laughs> which caused quite a sensation. I bet it did. <laughs> in those days, let me tell you. Was it razzmatazz and all that kind of thing, or was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They were quite revealing, and Mm. B.A. Grace had a number of letters on his um, desk. Because Chatswood was the number one store, Mm. then, of course, uh, it really grabbed the headlines. So when this young merchandise manager decided to start these fashion parades with ladies' underwear, uh, yeah, a little bit of infamy with the bosses. Anyway, it all worked out. It worked out really well. Um, I then went into the buying offices and in ladies' wear, ladies' fashions. And it was interesting. My first wife was pregnant at the time and she couldn't find a decent maternity wear anywhere. I'm thinking, hang on. I'm the buying controller for women's fashion, <laughs> and my wife can't get anything in our stores. So Time to fix that problem. <laughs> yeah. So hence uh, started a maternity wear department. 
mm-hmm. which ended up being the highest gross profit department in Grace Brothers. Wow. And then also recognise an area of the market. And a guy called Carl Dowd from Clothing Company came up with this idea of the Maggie T range. So mm-hmm. not only did we launch this maternity, but I love the fact that we were going to then get into this other largest size market spearheaded by Maggie T brand. And Maggie was absolutely fantastic mm. to work with. And again, uh, ladies uh, really um, it took off enormously. One of the, the great lessons from that is that if you can make a lady feel good about herself, mm-hmm. then she will pay a right price and it won't need to be discounted or mm. whatever else. It's a really, really good quality. What Maintain they those margins is mm. something that is going to make them feel good. Yep. And hence the, the success of that. Unfortunately, um, Grace Brothers then were going into a merger with Maya. Mm. Now, Maya, I had a fair bit to do with their buying uh, people, their buying office, because we would do uh, strategic buys internationally, et cetera, go on trips to Hong Kong, et cetera, together. Did not like the culture. Mm. Uh, we were very much working with manufacturers, long-term mm. relationships. Yep. They were about, do you know who I am? No, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I have seen them do some, or I had seen Rather them those times, do some yeah. terrible things. So I decided, mm. no, I'm out of here. This is not. Right. Toxic. Mm. And my father said something very important to me one day. He said, son, if you ever wake up in the morning and you're not happy going to work, buy the paper and find another job. <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's 100%. Very, very why, why are you still there for? Yeah, yeah. And anyway, I yeah. um, got a, a big move into going from fashions, etc., to Sharp Corporation in consumer electronics. Yep. And that was my first introduction of going into a company where someone and by the way they deliberately senior management deliberately brought me in as a fresh set of eyes because they understood that the industry as a whole was quite incestuous Mm. nothing's changed everybody does the same sort of stuff it's just same old same old you know every day of the week Mm. Uh, what was that great movie with Bill Murray? Uh, Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 The same stuff. So, yeah. But it was my first experience of somebody saying to me, now, John, what you need to understand is this business is different. Say, so, oh, really? Say, so, oh, so do you have customers? Yeah. Marketing? Yeah. HR? Yeah. And I went through half a dozen different things. Oh, so it's really different. <laughs> and they just look at you like, um, uh, well, no, 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 you, you just don't understand. Anyway, Sharp was great. We were we were down about four or five as far as the um, brand in the marketplace. Right. Had absolutely fantastic product. And we were number one in microwave. Now, one of the things, and, and being in the marketing role for the organisation, come up with something different. Well, we had an ad agency who was very creative, and they came up with an idea for selling videos, which was or video um, players, of course, uh, which was to give away a video called The History of Cricket, and it was narrated by Ian Chappell. 
up mm-hmm. until the Thriller video by um, Michael Jackson, it was mm-hmm. the number one selling video in Australia. <laughs> but what it also did, <laughs> really importantly, mm. was lift the brand. Yeah. And lift the image of the brand, etc. Yeah, it creates a nice association. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, just as an aside to that, Previously, we had uh, Bernard King pushing microwaves and we had uh, Greg Chappell pushing uh, TVs and audio. And we did a survey of customers and we said, uh, do you know uh, the products that these people are pushed by? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know the brand? No. And it's where sometimes a personality can be bigger than the brand that they're promoting. Yeah, that's right. And so I said goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've forgotten his name now, the great um, management consultant. Anyway, he he was Greg Chappell as one of his. And uh, Harry, nearly nearly remembered it, he rang me and abused me. Do you know what you've done? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Anyway, we, we moved on. Yeah, yeah. The best thing, though, was to stand back and look in this industry and mm. say, what can we do something different? Mm. And what I found was that where retailers in themselves in the fashion industry were doing these big sales and everything else, Christmas, but also you'll remember the New Year sales, etc. Yeah. The whole um, consumer electronic industry was asleep. And everyone said, when I started to ask questions, I'd say, oh, no, 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 nothing happens. Nothing happens. So anyway, I went to the managing director and my boss and uh, said, look, I've got this crazy idea that we should go out there with a major campaign in January. Oh, but nobody ever does anything. I said, well, look, I've got this, as I said, crazy idea. I believe that I can do some closeout buying of products that customers really love, like Corningware for microwaves, but a little bit of a uh, left field approach was things like champagne glasses with a TV or scotch glasses. And I'm talking <laughs> crystal, right? Mm, mm. Uh, scotch glasses with a video. Mm. Oh, how are you going to pay for this and do it? I said, well, there's an interesting thing. All of our products at that time had 30% sales tax. All this stuff doesn't. Yeah, okay. I said, well, Let's say something retails for $45, but I've only paid 15 I say, yeah. Well, what we can do is we can charge the retailer $45 for that product, mm-hmm. but we will give them a $45 rebate on the TV or the video. And 30% is pretty much 15 bucks. So the rebate we got off the government in the sales tax paid for the product. (laughs) And we launched in Mm. the January. It went absolute gangbusters because everybody else was asleep. Yeah, yeah. And again. And you had something great in the market. It's what people, sort of the association with the two products, it's it's, they're complementary, you know. Yeah. They go really well together. Yeah, you sit and have a scotch while you're watching your TV Cricket. with your new sharp video as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> while mum's using the microwave and got some free corningware. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mate, you got and it, it was all top quality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Product, which yeah, is important. Yeah. But again, it really lifted our brand and positioning in the marketplace that really 
along with the quality of our product and our other work, et cetera, took us to an equal number one in the market along with Panasonic. Mm. Which also, was, your brand uh, recall would have been much higher, John, too. I, I'm, I'm just assuming here, obviously. But, um, you know, you're not, as you said, the, in the first instance, uh, the, 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 your, your association with uh, or your affiliation with the, the, the person, you know, spon- um, promoting the brand became sort of overshadowed your brand. But here you, you've got a, a representation of a really high quality product, but there's no real, I mean, Corningware obviously is a brand, but they're so far apart from each other. You know, like there's real, you, you're um, from a brand positioning point of view, you, you recall on your on your brand is going to be really quite high. Yeah, and mm. and it was. Yeah, and if we'd have given away cheap unbranded glassware or yeah, footwear or whatever, had else, the reverse effect, wouldn't it? Correct. Mm. But mm. it was also interesting. We literally cleaned out the warehouse with uh, container loads of this stuff. <laughs> and uh, obviously the boys in the warehouse thinking, what are we doing with all this stuff? <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was a real game changer. Yep. Move on a number of years, and I really needed to make another change because I'd hit a glass ceiling. And the glass ceiling was in a Japanese company, even though I'd spent a couple of years learning the language, etc. I was basically told, look, John, we'll pay you whatever we need to to keep you, but you're a gaijin, you're an alien. You're not going to go any further within the organisation and you're certainly not going to get an international transfer, which I'd been asking for. So that then led me to joining a guy called Jack Cowan at Hungry Jacks. Um, A bit of an interesting story. Again, this industry's business. Mm-hmm. but did some promotional campaigns there that really lifted it. Yeah, right. Um, but a few things happened, including a very, very close mate of mine coming along and saying, hey, I want you to join me as managing director of a business I've bought. I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, Domino's Pizza. I said, oh, okay. But <laughs> I said, Chris, you don't know anything about the food market. And he said, no, that's where you come in. <laughs> no, okay. So we worked together for a couple of years, but the unfortunate thing is that it, the relationship soured relative right. to things that he did, and it caught me in a maelstrom effect where I lost everything. Right. So the interesting part about this is that I was 40 at the time. Wow. The good thing after I extracted myself out of that was that I joined Thorne EMI Rentals and started my journey with Radio Rentals. But during uh, 1992, I turned 40 and I went broke and my dad died. And I got terribly depressed Mm. because I'd lost everything. I trusted someone who I thought was my best mate. They mm. sold me down the river. And it was a, a dreadful time. What saved me? Thinking about my dad. Oh, yeah. At 40 years of age, he came mm-hmm. back from the war and started again and reinvented himself. If my dad could do it, I could do it. Mm. And a very big object lesson. And look, that's a I great know lesson. people go through very, very dark days, etc. Yes, yeah, they do. But it was good that I also had a couple of close mates, one in particular, 
mm. um, who really stood beside me, mm. gave me support, etc. Yep. Um, and then moved forward from there. Anyway, getting back yep. to Thorn and Radio Rentals, uh, I joined that organisation on a recommendation. And one of the first things was going in there and looking at the business and saying, oh, okay, put on the entrepreneurial hat. What about this? What about that? <laughs> and I met a couple of guys, mm. one called Ken Wolfendahl mm. and uh, another one, um, Ian Simpson, who unfortunately has passed. And I'd go up to these guys who are very long serving and say, hey, what about this as an idea? No, it won't work. I thought, why not? I'll try that in 86. Well, why didn't it work? I thought, so this. And then I'd go to them and I'd say, hey, boys, um, what about this? Oh, yeah, that'll work. Well, why aren't we doing it now? Oh, there's this new marketing person that came in in, uh, you know, uh, 83. And <laughs> the one thing you learn about marketing people and CEOs, et cetera, when they move into a new company, yeah. what's the first thing they've got? To, they've got to change something. It's like they've got yeah. to put their initials in the sand or pee in the corner. Yeah, 100% you know, they do. Yeah, oh, I've experienced that. The number of times mm. I walk into a supermarket and I see a brand change and new mm. packaging and everything else, I think, oh, I'll bet there's been a change at head office. Oh, yeah, and you're probably spot on. You're probably 100% right every time. Yeah, yeah. it's it's just crazy. Mm. But what I learned from my dad is never expect anybody to do a job you wouldn't do, including cleaning the toilets. Yeah. And number two, talk to the people at the front end of the business and find yeah. out you know, really dig into their knowledge and experience and everything else. So anyway, with these two guys, I uh, called them into my office one day and I said, I need a favour. And they said, what? I said, can you go and lock yourselves in the boardroom and write down everything that's worked and everything that hasn't worked? I said, I'm tired of asking you guys. <laughs> one by one. <laughs> one by one. <laughs> Tell me what's a good and the bad. And, and I'll stop asking. Me. <laughs> that taught me an enormous amount. I mean, my learning curve just shortened significantly. Yeah, yeah. But there was also another thing. We went through and we did, you know, SWOT analysis, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what was one of the threats to us and one of our major competitors, et cetera, were these people renting secondhand product, old product, mm -hmm. at cheaper prices in the marketplace. And I said, but... Where do they get that product from? And they said, from us. I said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah. yeah. They said, see, what happens is we have a budget for mm. sale of uh, end of year or end of life product. Yeah. So when something becomes zero written down value mm -hmm. after depreciation, we sell it off and we might get 150 bucks for it. Mm -hmm. And that goes to the bottom line profit. I said, yeah, but we're feeding competitors. They said, yeah. So <laughs> what I then came up with was a second brand, which was Ready Hire. And what it was, uh, and I said a lady into it, by the name of Robin McEwen, um, and she did an absolute cracker of a job with that brand. It's probably the only brand I've ever seen have, uh, or any business, to see have an infinite return on capital employed because mm -hmm. all the product that we transferred into there was all the written down value Written product off. that we mm -hmm. would have sold off. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when they take a first month's rent up front, etc., even if people cleared off with it, I mean, we'd only have to rent it out for a couple of months, you know, say three months plus the first month that they've paid. And we've already got more than what we would have sold it to for these other people to be competitive. Yeah. I mean, amazing, isn't it? I mean, what yeah. a turnaround. And it just went gangbusters. Mm. Now, yeah, essentially put the, the other thing... business out of business overnight with that one Sorry? decision. I said you essentially put the other business out of business overnight because you, you, you cut their supply. Yeah, and I got some very nasty phone calls. <laughs> yeah, I a bet few you times did. I was looking over my shoulders. You have destroyed my business. Yeah, sorry about well, that. There's no friends in business, as they say. Sometimes you know you yeah. gotta yeah look after your people. Anyway, with that, um, so what we had two brand strategy, which I'm a great believer in, as long as you position it correctly. Yeah. So yeah. we had radio rentals as the senior brand, if you like. Mm-hmm. And if anyone was rejected from Radio Rentals, they'd get a phone call from somebody from Ready Hire. Hey, have you ever thought about renting? Well, mm. well I have, but those mongrels at Radio Rentals wouldn't do it with me. Well, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, and, your net, you just broadened your net massively. I mean, oh, yeah. essentially, there's no way they could not be a customer. Dealing with people who are really doing it tough. Yeah. And if you That's set right. an expectation for people and say, look, you're in this difficult situation, you know you've got really, really bad credit, radio rentals won't touch you, mm. but we'll give you a go. Mm. But you've got to set expectations. Mm-hmm. And Robin and her team were extremely good at, at that. The second thing was to create a brand called Rent, Try, Buy. Yep. Everything that I'd heard was that, and with you, uh, the price of consumer electronics going down, that you needed to consider that people wanted ownership. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. we started Rent, Try, Buy, and mm-hmm. again, it went absolutely gangbusters. Now, in a period of time from 1992 to 1996, we went from $9 million worth of EBIT to around $25 million worth of EBIT. Four Sensational. Years, not too bad. Yep. And we won two worldwide awards for best business for Thorn EMI worldwide. Again, Amazing. pretty good. Mm. Um, and we were really flying. The interesting thing, though, is that we get to 95, 96, and the worldwide board wouldn't let us reinvent again because myself and some of the other country heads were saying, we just can't keep doing this rent to rent we have to uh, make it far more affordable for people to do the buyout Mm. and unfortunately the worldwide board said no 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 the the pricing is inelastic these people have got nowhere else to go Mm. etc and i didn't believe in that and Mm. i ended up leaving Mm. and four years after that the business was in negative territory. Wow. So in one <laughs> four-year period, mm. we go from 9 million EBIT growth. to 25 mm. million EBIT. And it's reversed. And in four years, it went to minus 1 million. Incredible. Yeah. And, of course, <laughs> what didn't help, and, Nigel, you know how I operate, mm. the managing director who took over from me never left his office. 
Mm. Uh, meetings, meetings and more meetings. Uh, didn't care about the people in the field, etc. And the whole culture and everything else of the organisation just declined at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went off to join Rural Co in the rural sector. Mm-hmm. And it had, or it was, a member cooperative that had become a publicly unlisted company. And the original company, Combined Rural Traders, had bought another one called Town and Country, and they brought them both together under the Rural Co banner. Now, the managing director who was before me was very much an accountant. And every Monday, he would get these massive reports on his desk that he would go through and look at all the various figures, etc. Anyway, I came along. Uh, one of the first things I did was go to the um, CFO and say, Frank, just give me a one-pager of all this stuff. I just don't have the time. Get out, visit members, do all of that. Mm. Cutting a long story short, um, during the next 10 years, mm. what we did was really position two brands in the market. One was CRT for the big farmers, and the other one was to recognise that there was a growing market of hobby farmers and that was really what town and country was all about right okay yeah yeah. and mind you there were a lot of people there who thought oh no this and you had to get some people to drag them screaming (laughs) into the more hobby farm market i Mm. remember one sad case where i said to a guy the market has changed around you there's no more broad acre cropping or you know uh, beef um, farms, etc. This is all about mums and dads, five-acre blocks. No, 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 no. This is the way the business has always been. The business eventually went broke. Um, the people who bought out the business, mm. a couple of young guys, what did yep. they do? They turned it into a hobby farm market <laughs> store and did extremely well. Yeah. So, yeah. again, there's something about reinventing yourself not only your business but mm. to reinvent your business you've got to reinvent yourself and look at what it is etc yeah we then also recognize that uh what was the business oh my apologies just Sorry? back to thorn for a moment yeah the other string of it was recognizing that thorn wasn't just radio rentals or a consumer rental business Mm. It was a finance business. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, we started Thorn Business Services, and that mm. was a fantastic uh, part of the business. Anyway, moving back to Rural Co, it was to stand back and say, what are we really? Oh, well, an independent member group of uh, independent rural merchants. Mm. Well, why can't we be an independent member group of a whole range of rural services? So we took a leaf out of West Farmers and Elders and then started to to develop the business Mm. on all these other platforms. Mm. At the same time, what we did was absolutely um, change the whole logistics uh, offering to members. I was going to say, you've got the infrastructure then. What did surprise a lot of people Mm. was that the old model when I joined actually helped um, support, well, over-inflate the support of big members. Mm. So we would have small members saying, 
well, this isn't right. I can buy cheaper off this big member than I can buy directly off you. Mm. Yeah, because we were paying these members such big rebates. Rebates, yeah, yep. That they were making so much margin, they mm. could sell to the smaller members. And it might sound quite counterintuitive. Yeah. But after a lot of hard work, et cetera, we actually said goodbye to a lot of those big members mm. and concentrated on the small members. Yeah. We were never going to be able to keep everybody happy. Yeah. And it was one of the best decisions we could have possibly made. And the business just grew because we were able to do more for those small members. And then we developed into wool and livestock. We developed into real estate. Um, and the business just grew. Now, in mm. 1996, when I joined... I mean, that's a... Sorry, John, to of, cut in there. That's an amazing story, to be honest. I mean, the, the diversification of the business, it went from being, oh, I'm, I'm not going to say lazy, but sort of just, you know, doing what it would normally consider as its core business and then saying, okay, well, here's an opportunity for us to... We see a problem. We can reinvent ourselves now. And you, you've got the infrastructure. You've got the contacts. You've got... Um, all of the cost structure in place to, you know, once you sort of got rid of that proverbial monkey off the back, sort of, so to speak, you were able to then say, okay, well, well, let's branch into to some more interesting areas, grow the business, grow, you know, grow essentially the, the diversify the revenue streams. I mean, that's that's incredible. Mm. And mm. one of the things I use the old analogy of peeling back an onion. Yeah. To look yeah. at a business like an onion, mm. peel it back. What's our real core competencies? What are we yep. good at? Mm. Right? So if it's logistics, and how can we, how can we, can we diversify? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How can we build on those? Mm. And it, it's something that so many businesses, like recognising that Thorn was a finance company, recognising yeah. that Rural Co mm. could be this whole suite of services delivered by independent members. Mm -hmm. And from 1992, there was Rural Co was one of 21 rural merchandising groups. In the end, uh, we were one of only three or four, I think it was, when I left in 2006. But even further on, it ended up being only one of the big uh, three. Mm. And then it got absorbed by, uh, absorbed by Nutrien mm -hmm. as really one of the right. big, big two. Nutrien just sucked you know, a number of them up in the market. And go from being worth $9 million in 96 to being worth around $150 million in 2006 um, as a publicly listed company. Amazing, yep. Yeah, Fertiliser, we did a, how we got public listing is we did a reverse takeover of a company called Growforce, which was very, very strong in fertiliser. They're, they're so, public already, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So Amazing. It's about looking at things differently. Mm. Anyway, after 10 years, uh, I retired from Rural Cape because there was a merger. And i got to tell you, I was tired. Mm. 10 years of yeah. doing work with independent members. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, it's all a the bit politics. Like, and I mean this in the <laughs> nicest possible way. It's a bit like herding cats. Yeah, 100%. Right? Your, your greatest strength. Of the business, the independent yep. members. The mm. greatest weakness, <laughs> trying to get them all to think in one direction. And, you know, it, it, yeah. is, it is tough. But yep. if I can just touch on one other thing within that, uh, made a significant amount of difference to the business and its culture. When I came in, it was 
management versus the members. Mm-hmm. So I took a leaf out of uh, the book of McDonald's and a guy, Peter Ritchie, real doyen of the industry, and formed the member groups around Australia. And what we did was regional business development groups, mm. state business development groups, mm. and a national business development yeah, right. group. And your regional chair uh, would sit on the state committee, mm-hmm. and the state committees would sit on those state committee chairs would sit on the national committee, and the chair of the national committee would sit on the board. Mm. Makes sense to and, break up the power structure and uh, yeah, well, the decision making process. No, it actually it actually created a better power structure. Better, yeah, better unity. Yeah, yeah, and, mm. and I'll tell you an interesting example. I can remember uh, one particular case. There had been this member in New South Wales who hadn't been playing ball, and I got a request from our general manager. Oh, not a request from him through him he came mm-hmm. in and he said you're not going to believe this he said this group in new south wales want to get rid of this member and i said why they said well he's not coming to meetings and he's not getting involved in the marketing and he's not doing this and he's not doing that and i said well greg i think you've got to kind of calm them down etc and see what they can do put their arms around him say listen mate you know yep. da, 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 da. Yep. and he said yeah he said you want to know the interesting part i said what he said go back before we had this structure and if I'd have gone and talked to that member, I would have been the worst person in the whole <laughs> world. Now that the members have the power, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're giving the guy so much grief and just want to get rid of him out of the organisation. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole different change of um, attitude. Yeah. yeah. And, and em- it's good, isn't it? An empowerment yeah. of the members themselves. Yeah. So after 10 years with Rural Car, I was going to retire and become a non-executive director. And I got a phone call saying, John, would you like a trip back to the future? I said, what with? They said, well, you know, Thorne got taken out by a private equity firm. I said, yeah. They said, well, they'd like you to come back, take the company public, and you can do with it what you always wanted to. I said, oh, Okay. Let's um, go. <laughs> there were doing and throwing negotiations. Yeah. Um, I rejoined, and part of it, they said, we want to take the company public. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, by when? And this is a September. Oh, by Christmas. <laughs> you want to take the company public by Christmas. <laughs> right, okay. Well, there's your first challenge. Anyway, <laughs> massive, massive. Fortunately, when I was at Grace Brothers, I did uh, part-time mainly a Bachelor of Commerce degree, majoring in accounting and finance, et cetera. Right. When I, why that happened was I spoke to Roger Corbett and uh, Michael Grace one day, and they were saying to me, well, Husey, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd like one of your jobs, right? <laughs> and uh, as directors of Grace Brothers, they said, well, you better get off your behind and go and finish the university degree you never did. And I said, oh, in marketing? They said, no. Nah. You learn marketing in the real world. Go and do accounting and finance because every business comes down to dollars and cents on the bottom line. Yeah. And it was great experience, particularly when you get into managing uh, a public company. Mm-hmm. Of course, anyway, yeah. So rejoin Thorne. Mm-hmm. One of the first things 
was to get out the stores. So I had a chat to our then general manager of Radio Rental, mm-hmm. and I said, I want to go out and visit some stores. Let's hit the road tomorrow. So he comes along, three-piece suit, BMW, file a fax. I roll <laughs> up in a store manager's uniform. <laughs> I, we go out to store. And he walks in and he's going through his uh, KPIs and everything else. And I said, <laughs> yeah, can we just put that aside? I said, who'd like a cup of coffee? Go and buy a cup of coffee for everybody. Come back into the store, a few little cakes, etc. Okay, now tell me what's wrong with the business. And people are just looking at you like, hang on, this guy's the boss and he, and he wants to actually listen. listen? Mm, yeah, 100%. Breaking mm. down barriers of it's that important. business mm. were hard. By the way, that general manager was made redundant a week later mm. because I thought, I know this business better than anybody. Yeah, I want a flat structure. I'm going to spend vast amount of time out there in stores, yep. listening, learning, etc. Being a sponge, and, basically, <laughs> just absorbing yeah, all of the issues. Well, again, like the Ken Wolfendale and... Um, mm. Ian. Oh, Ian, mm. Ken and Ian, you know, the thing there, learning mm. from the people that are doing the job and have the experience, et cetera, what's yep. worked, what hasn't worked, et cetera. Mm. One of the biggest learnings was when I was talking to uh, some delivery guys, I said, what's your biggest beef? They said, oh, if we go out there with multiple units, say we've got five units to deliver. I said, yeah. They said, we've got to get 15 signatures. <laughs> <laughs> three per product. You run out of ink by the end of the day. <laughs> you can't. You can't be serious. He's got a, so, yeah. a box of biros and he's, he's trying. Anyway, I called a meeting of the executive and everybody had blamed the lawyers. So get the lawyers in, you know. Hmm. Sit them in a room and I shut and locked the door. And I said, no one is leaving until we sort this out because it's absolutely ridiculous. And I turned to the two lawyers, two couple of good guys. You've got a hostage came. situation. <laughs> yeah. I said, and it's all your fault. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Went through the whole thing. I said, now that's the problem. They said, well, nobody's asked us to fix it. Mm-hmm. They've just asked us for new different contracts and everything yeah, else. Yeah, so they didn't I even said, know well, about the problem. Long? Yeah. Yeah. I said, well, how long is it going to take to fix it? Oh, we could have some new contracts drawn up by this time next week. So you left him in there for a week. No matter how many, (laughs) no matter how many units were delivered or whatever, and from signature in store to delivery, Mm -hmm. that whole exercise Mm. was only three signatures. Yeah, yeah. So much better customer experience, hands down. I mean, correct. But the frustration Mm. of the people, you know, in store. Mm. One of the other funny things about rejoining Thorn. Imagine that I'd left. Rural Co. and we'd invested a whole lot of money in uh, IT to the point at that time in 2006, a member could literally do everything online, no paperwork, all their rebates, everything. Mm-hmm. An interesting part of that, as well, not only great for them, but if anybody ever decided to leave, we'd say, okay, well, we've got to take our system back. And they'd say, but, but all of our information is on the system. So, yeah, but you want to leave, so you've got to go and buy yourself another system. <laughs> I have second thoughts then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. Another hostage I situation. Thorn. <laughs> I rejoined Thorn. Thorn, 
Right? Consumer electronics. Dealing with the likes of Panasonic and NEC and everybody else. Toshiba. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw somebody putting facts. I said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're faxing off orders. (laughs) Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what? (laughs) Yeah. It, it was so interesting. The consumer electronics industry was so far behind. Yeah, yeah. Talk about anyway. digital transformation. I mean, it's there, isn't it? Paperless. Yeah. yeah. Faxing, yeah. get rid of that. God. At, at that time, Thorn, again, um, was very low in value. And, in fact, mm. its value when we took it to market was $50 million. Okay. Mm. Eight years later, when I left, it was over three hundred million. <laughs> now, what because they stopped faxing, did they? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, they faxing. That's exactly right. And a few other things. Yeah, just um, a few. <laughs> when I joined and mm. I spoke to a few people about the culture of the organisation, mm. I heard an interesting story that one of the international heads mm. of the private equity group that owned right. Thorn. Had come out to Australia and said to the then management team, well, how would you describe the culture? And his words were, well, probably a bit of fear and um, directness. Oh. oh, well, if it works. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was just yeah, terrible. That's crazy. Really, really terrible. Yeah. And... People at stores hated seeing anybody from head office because yeah. it was all about driving KPIs and yeah, everything yeah. else. And some of the ways that they were treated in management meetings were absolutely horrible. And I've heard stories about people vomiting before going into oh, God. A, yeah, uh, yeah. a review meeting, etc. It yeah. was something that, that shouldn't be done. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, a guy that you knew well, James Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep promoted him to to national uh, ops manager and he did an absolutely brilliant job. And together, God only knows how many stores we visited and the time we spent at stores. Um, One of the first things I did was to tell everybody to go out and buy a barbecue so that at least once a week they'd have a barbecue breakfast at store. Mm. If James and I were travelling around, and it was the first store of the day, we'd be there at 7 o'clock in the morning and we cooked the barbecue. If it was morning tea time, we'd buy, you know, we could put on a lot of weight <laughs> because we'd buy lunches, we'd buy morning teas, afternoon teas, Next store, another barbecue. <laughs> but if you want to create yeah. a, a different culture, mm, you don't yeah, just wander right. into a store. You yeah. go in there and you do something different, mm. okay? Mm, that's and, right. Um, I mean, and they appreciate what, it too. Nothing. I mean, the smell of a bacon egg roll in the morning is nothing better. Oh. Boss, yeah. you're the best. Or, <laughs> or, you know, a cream bun or whatever for afternoon <laughs> tea, you know, the, yeah, the whole yeah. bit. Pizzas yeah. for lunch, which was the, the norm, etc. cetera. Mm. And one of the other things that we did when James and I were going around was that if we went into a store and we were found it was getting hammered, we would clean a fridge. We would help serve customers. Help out, yeah. We would hop on a delivery truck. And you don't have to do that too many times before the word gets around to the organisation that things are different. Yeah, like to be hands-on. And people care. Mm. And uh, sending out birthday wishes. 
if somebody did a five year, 10 year or whatever I'd personally call them and, you know, thank them for the job that they were doing, et cetera. And the number of times I'd talk to say a field rep or a delivery driver, I think they nearly run off the road. Mm. Um, I've got the bosses ringing, et cetera. And by the way, nobody ever called me Mr. Hughes, as you'll remember, it was no. always John. John, yeah, yep. Yep. Um, sometimes they call me, hey, boss, <laughs> which is <laughs> nice. Um, but you do mm. that, and then they tell somebody else, and mm. it just starts to build such a good, positive culture. Yeah, and you attract and one the talent the, too. I mean, people who tell other people they might want to come and work for you, and you know, you end up with a good fleet of really good people that love the business yeah, as much as you do, you know? Yeah, and mm. if things get tight and you need help, etc. Yeah, they dig down, um, dig deep. They will say, I've been treated right. Mm. You know, yeah. I've been given this. I used up all my holidays because my kid was sick or whatever else. Mm. And, you know, my sick leave, etc. Yep. There's been an issue in the family. But they've just given me this extra one week. Mm. Well, that's great. It just enforces the, the positive culture. So does. Yeah. And you were the recipient of a uh, an occasional Mars bar or Kit Kat. <laughs> With me walking around. And... Delicious. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Walk out, of, walk out of Coles or Woolies with these big bags. No, of, I remember you uh, carrying those big bags lollies. and lollies around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't yeah, everyone loved much. it. No, it was but good. It was a nice touch. even just going around to the office with a cup of coffee and sitting on the corner of somebody's desk and saying, how are you going? Tell me what you're doing. Mm. You know, how are you enjoying things, etc." And that does build a really positive culture. Yeah. And you get it back in you get it back in spades. The really sad thing about Thorn later on, and uh, it really hit after I left, was that we had done so much for so many hundreds of thousands of consumers out mm -hmm. there mm. that consumer action groups and ASIC etc. really took a dislike to consumer leasing. Mm. And literally legislated Thorn and every other rental business out of the market. And these are people who are credit and cash constraint. They don't have two bob at the end of the month. Mm. They have got bad credit and no one is going to touch them, let alone people say, oh, but it's so easy to get, uh, you know, a credit account at Harvey Norman or whatever. Garbage. Yeah, it's not true. It, it is, it is, it yeah. is not true. Yeah, And the number of customers I personally saw who would come in and they'd be in a difficult situation and they were just so thankful. One lady I remember from Cranbourne in Melbourne mm. who Saturday morning and I was serving her and uh, just to take a payment actually. And I said, oh, you've been a customer for a long time. She said, yeah. She said, you know what? If it wasn't for radio rentals, I wouldn't have anything today. She said, mm. I was a single mum. Yep. I had to get out of an abusive relationship with two small kids. Mm. And the only business that would help me was radio rentals. Mm. And, it, and feel, it feels good. I mean, as a, you know, the, the managing director of the business, I mean, you, you, you've got purpose. I mean, you're helping yeah. people who ha don't have options. Correct. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know much about the, the legislation and, and as you say that, that, um, with ASIC and whatever else, but um, they, I, I, what I do know and what I have experienced is that sometimes just 
you know, they don't understand people are fragile. You know, they just think of, uh, think of the, the, the broader picture or they've got some idea in their head that, you know, they shouldn't exist and they just go for it. I, I just, it doesn't, for me, I, mm. I don't understand why, you know, they would legislate something like radio rentals out of business. To me, it doesn't make any sense. They didn't know? understand it. Mm. I had uh, Channel 7 today, tonight, contact me once about okay. doing an interview. Mm. I said, yeah, sure, come in. And my executive team were like, you what? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, I could picture <laughs> <You> it. <know? laughs> anyway, I had them in for about an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. And the guy in my office and the cameraman, et cetera. And after going through and what we did and talking about the mum test, which yep. I'll cover yeah. up in a moment, yeah. I said, well, how was that? And the reporter said, it won't be going to air. And I said, why not? He said, well, there's nothing here. I said, yeah. but there's a good story. He said, yeah, but we weren't after a good story. No, you they wanted the bad PR, yeah, the yeah. stuff that goes viral well, they basically were, they back then. They were trying to catch yeah. me out. Yeah. And it wasn't. And they mm. said, there's just not a story here. Mm. And as the camera guy walked out, he said, mate, you guys are doing a great job. He said, I never understood. Yeah. 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 It was misunderstood, I think, wasn't it, really? When you think yeah. about it. I mean, I, I, after working there for, for a while, I mean, I realized how much the business was helping people, genuinely helping mm. people, you know, yeah. that are in these sticky situations that – don't want to buy a second-hand one off, you know, what would be Facebook Marketplace yep. or something. Now they actually want something of, of, of quality. They need it. They have a certain need, but they just don't have the means in which to financially get to whatever it is. Correct. It could be a child going to, um, you know, TAFE or whatever, and they, they need a certain type of laptop. They just can't mm. afford it. You know, it, it's not – everybody thinks that, oh, you can just go buy one or just get one off a friend mm. or a second-hand or whatever, but it doesn't work like yep. that. They're the people who yep. need – and, you know, take pride in the things they own as well. I mean, it's mm. comes down to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a sad, By the way, when it? I came back, I I found that they'd walked away from Rent Try Buy. So it was also reinventing that. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. was also saying that, well, they'd walked away from Thorn Business Services. We reinvented mm. that. Mm. Then we did Cash First, which was cash loans, because, again, we looked at the business and said, hey, it's a finance company. Mm. Right? And mm. went and went down that path. A really important thing that I touched on a moment ago was the mum test that James yes. Marshall yep. came up with, which was telling stores to do, if you've got a customer who's in trouble, do for them what you would do for your mum. Mm. Or if you're talking to your mum tonight, that you can be proud of whatever you've done for that customer. And the number of stories that we had as positives from stores. I remember one I think I've spoken to you about before up in Maryborough and uh, the store manager up there rang me nearly in tears that there was this older couple and it upgraded a, a year or so ago, etc. And uh, the husband had died. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, that's terribly sad. I said, so what did you do? And she said, well, Boss, I hope you don't mind. She said, I wrote off the TV and I took them around a bunch of flowers. <laughs> so nice. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You and just don't get that anymore. What, mm. No. I mean, what that did for her, the staff, and of course, every store in Queensland knew the story within 24 hours. Mm. I'm saying, but can we really do something like that? Well, in exceptional circumstances of this old lady in her 80s, 
who's been a customer for 20 or 30 years or whatever and upgrading and she'd done rent try by so many times mm. that's about loyalty mm. it's exactly now, right if, yep if i'd have been still with thorn and with james when he took over from me when i retired unfortunately due to my wife's help uh and he'd have been ceo and i'd have been chair i reckon we would have beaten asic because there was a case of asic versus westpac where the judge said there's really nothing wrong here because there's no defaults you know the 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 um, arrears and everything so low yeah we would have been able to present in my view an mm. extremely strong case to say we are not over committing customers yeah we yeah. are not taking advantage of customers mm. and how many companies in the world finance companies have something like the mum test Mm. And we could have showed example after example after example. Mm. I mean, what, what options do they have? Got some sort of crazy loan shark with pay super crazy interest rates, and yeah, you know, I mean, oh, by the way, yeah, they, they allowed um, <laughs> the um, uh, oh, what do you call it? buy now pay laters? Yeah, 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 into the market. Yeah, they just thumbed their noses and found a nice little way to get into the market, and I think it created massive issues just sad how yeah. things go so yeah. that's so much of my journey etc mm. but looking at other businesses etc and what they've done in reinvention one of the best examples i could give would be of lg now when they oh, came yeah. into the market yep. in the 90s mm. Uh, it wasn't LG, of course. It was Lucky Gold Star. Yeah, and I bloody remember, lucky I actually they had a were. Lucky Gold Star TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. we haven't. We didn't cover off Big Brown Box, which I'll come off. Oh yeah, we can. Yeah, very yeah. Maybe at the end. Yeah. Um, is that LG or Lucky Gold Star mm. completed completely reinvented itself? Yes, it was an business. amazing rebranding. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And there have been a number of others around the world that reinvent yep. and you have to to keep consumers uh or sorry to keep your brand relevant to consumers yes. you've got to keep reinventing. reinventing yeah you know you look at a group called accent you know which yes accent group. Off as athletes foot yes and their expansions and new brands and everything yep. else younger demographics yeah as a brand yeah absolutely brilliant LaVisa. Um, oh yeah yeah in the in the jewelry, jewelry. I mean, the, yeah. and the margins would be phenomenal. I mean, that must be an yeah. and it's always packed. Every time I go past one, I mean, I got three daughters, so I mean, as yep. soon as we walk past them, they're immediately in there buying earrings and and um, you know, and the quality of the stuff is really good. Like compared to mm. going and spending you know a thousand dollars on a set of you know um, gold earrings, they'd rather just go in there and buy. You know, so yep. they've really got this market of this sort of teenage to yeah. early adult kind of. Uh, young adult market that's such a great mm. business that and look you've got to look as a retailer how you do re remain relevant one of yeah. the other ones that i would uh, quickly mention nordstrom in america nordstrom their upgraded yeah. stores their new store in honolulu from a few years old now one of the first things they put in was a bar and uh, cafe etc why 
wives go shopping and the guys go to the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can be better than that? Oh, mate, it, fr- it frustrates to... me when I go with my wife. We go to Parramatta Westfields, for example, and you see yep. all these these lonely guys just walking around waiting for their wives yeah. to finish shopping. <laughs> but there's you nothing for them to fun. do. I mean, they need some. They need. There's empty space in the middle of that Westfields. John, I think you need to go there and tell them what to do with that space, mate. Reinvent it. <laughs> Everybody just I mean, walks around looking at each other, lost. And, and look, the other uh, thing that's really important in Australian retail is mm, the category killers. Yeah, yeah. And I've said to you, from me, I'm not offering anybody advice. No. But the only uh, retailers that my wife and I invest in are the category killers. Yeah. Who really know how to drive businesses. Mm. I JB, mean, let me West, guess. Is that one? Oh, JB Hi-Fi. Yeah. You've got Harvey Norman. Mm. Uh, you've got Bunnings and Bunnings. Um, Officeworks. Yeah. And there's another super cheap auto. Started yes. out super cheap auto. Now That's it's a got great Rebel, business. Yeah. Yep. Um, gangbuster businesses. Mm. Who they the hell is going to compete with them? No, well, that's right. I mean, I look at, um, I mean, in the automotive space, when you look at like Auto One, for example, and it's when you walk in those stores and they're almost like a desert compared to, um, you know, when it comes to customers compared to to the super cheap um, stores, yeah. they're always got specials Spot on. Up. They've always got, you know, height, a bit of a bit of a vibe in the store. It feels really mm. good when you walk in. Lots of stuff on the shelves. Lots. It's packed. It feels like a bit of a bargains bazaar sometimes, you know, when you walk in and you're looking for yeah. things. I think they're merchandising those stores really well. And and a really interesting thing is that they employ people who have a passion for motor cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that, John, because I, my, my local one, there's a, a, a lady working there and uh, she's in her probably late 60s. And and she's a grandmother, and um and I was talking to her, and I thought she's not going to know any mate. She knew more about cars than I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I pulled motors apart myself and worked on cars, yeah. and you know, like. <laughs> but isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's amazing. It there's was a, so good. Yeah. There is a great company in America that people should look up called Tractor Supply Company that a mate of mine, Joe Scarlett, reinvented from okay. being literally a tractor supply company to America's biggest hobby farm store um, mm-hmm. hobby farm business it's now worth about 45 billion dollars <laughs> it's one of the most successful mm. uh, nasdaq uh nasdaq shares with continual growth etc something mm. they're heading towards 3000 stores wow. and they're america's biggest seller of ride on lawn mowers and i'm talking hundreds of thousands oh, and then the americans love their big blocks and ride yep. on mowers and things it's just yeah. Now they've got electric coming in too, so they're going to reinvent themselves when it comes to oh. to, to that market as well, isn't it? It's incredible. All of, all of that. But, and, you know, you look at those category killers. Now, just to finish, and I realise that we've gone way over time. Oh, I'm fine, John. If you, if, you have to, if you have to go, but I'm fine. Oh, no, I was worried about trying to keep it to an hour. For, no, no, well, so I'll, I'll, I can cut some bored. stuff out. No, no, this is great. We'll just keep going. There's no time limit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the great thing about podcasts. Well, yeah. Um, the... Uh, big brown box. Yes, yes. You saw firsthand. Yeah, I did. Looking at the radio rentals uh, business Mm -hmm. in itself, separate from the other streams of Thorn, was about what have we got? Great relationships with suppliers. Mm. We've got all these stores scattered around Australia. We've got pretty good IT systems, etc., Online's starting to grow. 
Mm. Why don't we start a totally separate business being online retail? Mm. Now, in those days, the uh, manufacturers used to carry a lot of stock. Yep. So we came up with the idea, what we will do, have this website, and people could go online there, look at all these products, order it. We'd push the order through to the manufacturer. The manufacturer would then deliver it to one of our radio rental stores. And, of course, we had the fleet of trucks or to one of our metropolitan distribution centres. And then we would just deliver it straight out to the customers. It was a great idea. It was an amazing idea, to be honest. And when you say when you say online was starting to take off, I mean, I think um, I can chime in there and just say like, just the idea of taking that and uh, what is essentially you know your 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 relationships, your suppliers, your infrastructure, all those synergies, and then spinning up a business that would be online at that point. Now this was early. What was it? Two thousand and nine or ten? Oh yeah, two thousand and nine, ten around yeah that around time. that time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there weren't many out there. There was only a handful, like maybe a few, yeah. that were actually doing it. So to, yeah. to that was really at the forefront of online retail. Yeah, and, and were other retailers Amazing. happy? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't really have an online store. They didn't have an online presence, really. It was more catalog-based. Well, actually, it was, it was a bit earlier than that because it was before the GFC. Mm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And what happened with the GFC is that uh, suppliers, started to really cut back on stocks mm. and they got to just in time. And then basically retailers were told, well, if you don't order enough volume, we're not going to carry your safety stock. Yeah. So what you order is what you get, et cetera, et cetera. And we didn't have the capacity. And as a startup, we didn't really know what would be the numbers that we could do, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. a lot of unknowns. It was yeah, 2008, I think, I joined. For, yeah. for us to invest millions and millions of dollars in warehouses and take oh, a punt, I yeah. mean, interestingly, we did give some orders or um, oh, what were they called? Reserve stocks mm. to suppliers. But interestingly, when we went to draw down on those, they'd been accidentally sold <laughs> or there was something wrong within the system. Yeah. Nah. And one can only potentially think that maybe there were some other things, not that I'm a conspiracy theorist, of no. course, but, mm. you know, if you're a major supplier, where's your bread buttered and it's not on trying to start start an online business startup yeah exactly yeah yeah and there were major brands too to be able to bring those major brands to an online store um you know it was just it was was very very like new 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 territory new ground um and that's why i joined actually because i just saw the potential it had such potential to to grow into something Massive, especially with the Radio Rentals fleet of trucks. As you say, the the Radio Rentals brand was so strong with its stores, its delivery Mm -hmm. processes, its systems as well were very, very solid. It had all of the hallmarks of what would have been an amazing business and a super successful business. But as you say, Mm -hmm. GFC and everything else kind of killed that idea pretty quickly, unfortunately, with Mm -hmm. with stock holdings and things not being there. The the one that did work well was John Winnie. 
Yeah, yeah. Who, well, who, he used the winnings think, business basically um, to, yeah, to as a springboard. He went off. Mm. Um, I think his dad might have had a few doubts about this, etc. Yeah, and other people within the winnings organisations, yeah. but he got the go oh, ahead to start <laughs> appliances online. Yeah, yeah. And he did a cracker job. Yeah, he did. and in fact, he bought the big brown box brand mm. off us. Yeah. The advantage that he had, he could draw down on winning stock. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> the the big issue that we had, and they had the buying power, they had the stock, mm. he just needed to start the online. Yeah. And he did, he's a great business person, mm. right? And I really love seeing his success. And he's now, of course, the CEO, managing director of the winnings group. That's right, yeah. Well, it was brown. Uh, yeah. I mean, brown box, big brown box was mainly focused on brown goods for for the listeners Correct. out there. Where um, winnings, the winnings group, and and appliances online was mainly white goods. Correct. So he he wanted to diversify a lot into uh, into the um, TVs and and uh, um, streaming players and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, he didn't really mm. have those relationships. But by doing that, by acquiring big brown box, he immediately had. I think there were still quite a, f- a few customers as well. So he'd not only got the mm. business, the website, he also got um, all of mm. these new customers that were basically profiled around ground goods. It is all about reinvention. Mm. One of the, the other things I didn't mention is we're now in the fortunate position where we can concentrate on philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's probably that's a good segue, John, into the Dove's Nest Foundation and the work you've been doing. I mean, let's. <laughs> it'd be great if we could dive into that. The one that came before Dove's Nest Foundation was the Children's Tumor Foundation. Oh uh, yeah, the tumor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my mum had a disease called neurofibromatosis, which means that tumors can grow anywhere on your body, inside, outside, or whatever. Right. Imagine that you and your wife went along to a pediatrician and. They say, well, you know, the, the little learning issues and these lumps and the cafe lay spots, etc. Well, your daughter's got NF. Now, what's that? Neurofibromatosis. And these tumours can grow anywhere. Uh, probably around 67% chance they're going to have learning difficulties. Could result in blindness, deafness, a mm, whole host terrible. of different issues because of where the tumours grow. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, well, what about treatments? Well, there's very few. A cure? No. Mm. Uh, how are we know, going to know what's going to happen? Mm. Well, you won't. you just got to monitor it. Mm. So in other words, we're living with a time bomb. Uh, yes. That's horrible. Mm. Now, um, imagine that. Yeah. And what was really... Um, or really struck me was that my mum had showed no signs of any lumps or whatever mm. uh, during her youth or first years of marriage. My sister was born, nothing. I'm born, and all of a sudden, my mum starts to just bloom in these external tumours, mm. etc. It's terrible. And mm. it was just devastating mm. you know and it, and it's one of those things where people look at you and they want to cross the side of the street or mm. whatever else yeah and then eventually what led to her death 
was that a number of them started to grow internally to her. One of them, which they didn't pick up early enough, grew to the size, a very, very large size in a hip, ate her all the hip away, etc. They oh, couldn't gosh. operate because she mm. was bled out in the operating table mm. and she passed at just 70 uh, years of age. Terribly sad. Very, mm, very that is sad, yeah. And young. Yep. Um, and I vowed at that time that I would try and do something if I ever could yep. to help others. A mm. uh, little bit as a legacy to her. Yeah. So when I it's got nice. into a better financial position and yep. I was uh, back with Thorn, etc., um, I got involved with an organisation called Neurofibromatosis Association of Australia mm. and looked at it and thought, okay. And the only money keeping the doors open was the last uh, check I'd written out a couple of months before, which helped pay for the lady who was working 20 hours a week and its offices were out of the Karingai Senior uh, Citizens at, um, mm. at Karingai. And thinking, oh, my God. And the organisation in Queensland had closed, the one in Victoria had. Uh, wasn't one in WA. The South Australian one was struggling, you know, etc. So anyway, I put on my... CEO hat and thought we've got to do something with Time this. Time to reinvent it. <laughs> reinvent it. Yeah. And fortunately, <laughs> I was in the position as CEO of Thorn mm. to be able to help and uh, got stuck in. And we found that uh, there was this organization in America called Children's Tumor Foundation. And I met right. the guy who had really helped reinvent that. Yep. And I said, why, why did you come up with that name? He said, well, John, um, I call it the 30-second lift ride. All right. You get into a lift yeah. or you get to talk to somebody about what you're doing in your organisation. You've got 30 seconds to make an impression. He said, you start to talk about the Neurofibromatosis Association of America and they can't even pronounce it, let alone give you enough time to talk about it. You say to them, well, I'm chairman of the Children's Tumor Foundation. Oh, what's yeah. that? Opens doors straight away, doesn't it? Yeah. Opens doors straight away. Yeah. And then uh, many people I've given a one-minute patter to, and they say, oh, my God, how can I help? And you might remember some of the, the things that we did in fundraising yeah, and I everything do. else. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, uh, suppliers uh, supported it. Mm -hmm. enormously yep. uh, which I could go on to another topic called sphere of influence yeah. because whilst you see you have a public company and suppliers are getting these really really big orders they love you, they'll do anything for you when you retire they take longer to return phone calls and the thousand dollar donations go down to five hundred dollars <laughs> and then you can become a cranky old man and you say <laughs> I've been chairman for ten years, I'm out of here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the law uh, of process. Look, it's, it's just it's just part of life. <laughs> yes, but I've yes. been very proud taking the Children's Tumor Foundation from nothing to where it's a national organisation supporting you know hundreds of families, etc. Because support is so important in this. Go back to the thing of you and your wife and your daughter going along to the doctor, etc. Anything you, you go home, your guts have, and their heart have been ripped out of you. Yeah. What do we do? But 
the doctor has given you a pamphlet to contact the Children's Tumor Foundation, and you ring there, and there's this really lovely lady who will sit makes a massive talk difference for an hour. Massive difference, yeah. Tell you about other families, connect you with other families who can give you support. Yep. You know, and it's talk huge. to you about the NF clinic. Yep. In your state, you know, whatever. And yep. the the only thing is that it's the um, whole charity sector, not for profit sector. Yep. There's so many. I mean, there's like over sixty thousand people trying to raise funds. Right. So just trying to get enough. And uh, fortunately, Robin, I are in a position to help enormously, plus our friends and contacts, et cetera, yep. plus other very, very good-hearted people mm-hmm. getting on board. And, uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a really, really tough road. Is the foundation still running today? Yes, it and is. Still will, will be, I'll be still. sure to leave um, um, a link on the on the website yeah. and on the show notes for, for those listening. If you want to make a donation, yeah. they can they can jump Please on do. and yeah and yeah. Uh, donate. It sounds like an amazing organisation, and I know exactly what you're talking about. That pamphlet at the end, I, and uh, when my mother got um, lung cancer, uh, we were sitting looking at each other when we mum got the diagnosis, and um, uh, one of the ladies from the the hospital walked over and said, "Give this lady a call from the cancer council. She's amazing." and um, just being able to have somebody there to call mm. uh, and and uh, they, they've they experienced it before. They know what the emotions that you're going through. As you say, your heart gets ripped out. It's shock. You go through those all those um, patterns the of emotion. Emotions. Yeah, that's right. And it's just so, yeah, I encourage everybody listening to the podcast to jump on and help out the the foundation. I mean, it sounds sounds mm. like you guys are doing amazing, amazing work. No. And then – uh, once I retired, well, even before I retired, my wife and I set up the Dove's Nest Foundation, which is our oh, family yes. charity. Yeah, okay. And every year we do a review who we're helping, mm-hmm. uh, what their work, what's the money achieving, etc. Mm-hmm. Because in the not-for-profit sector, you've you've got to be conscious of not just writing out a check and saying it's about. Well, what are they doing? Are mm. they meeting their commitments? You know, are making are they achieving all the stuff? Yeah. Um, so we do that, but there's been some very, very long-term relationships and a lot of them to more orphan diseases like donkey shelter. Um, okay. I've heard of that. Su- yeah, 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 yeah. The um, yeah. orangutans in Borneo. So if you yes. ever get the chance to go up there and visit those, yeah. etc. Amazing absolutely, work. Yes. Uh, brilliant. Thank you so much again for your time. Um, and thanks for talking to the audience today. It was good seeing you again. I haven't seen you for, for, for a while. So oh, you're wow. looking really, really well. So thank you. Thanks so much, mate. You thank too. you. Take care. Take care, mate. Bye-bye.